Hey kid, do you want to tie some gauze to your nuts? You're just a broken man. You're left with nothing. <sighs> you ready to talk some movies, Brennan? Yeah, okay. Well, let's go! Welcome to the Corrupted Youth Podcast. I'm Dan. I'm Brennan. We're a father and son duo that explores the latest blockbusters, classic genre films, and the schlockiest of Golden Age VHS rental store flicks. In spoiler heavy fashion. I just, I don't know. I thought you gotta change it up. Yeah. I mean, for anyone who actually listens to this when they come out, sorry, this one's a little late. Mm-hmm. I got sick. Yeah. The, the host got hit by a nasty virus that was not COVID. Yeah. But still, very bad. I'm still a little nasally, so sorry about that, but I'm sure you guys don't care. And if you do care, then I don't care still, so. But we're all better now. We're healthy. You got it the worst out of all of us. (laughs) Yeah. What are we covering this month, Bren? So we're covering one of my favorite movies, Stalker. This is a very artsy Russian film from the late 70s. And, uh, I guess should I get into, like, the history of the movie? So, the IMDb, uh, description for the movie is, A guide leads two men through an area known as the Zone to find a room that grants wishes. And that's actually a pretty simple explanation, but it actually works out pretty well. The writers for this, which, which is actually important, uh, to cover, is... Arkady Strogotsky and Boris Strogotsky, and they are the writers of the book, which I'll talk about the book uh, later. But the director actually wrote the screenplay. Yeah. So he's the one who did all the like, actual like, writing of the dialogue and everything like that. That's Tarkovsky. Andre. Andre Tarkovsky. I would like to go through all the actors involved, but they're very heavy-duty Russian names. And, and I mean, none of them are really known for anything else, as far as I know. Not in the States, necessarily. Yeah, definitely not in the States. Definitely not just general genre films or anything. Yeah. The common folks here in the United States would know. So, no disrespect to them, living or dead, but hey, we're just not doing it. Just like, there is no trailer for this movie. Because yeah. It would just be Russian- Yep, it's just some music and then some people talking in Russian. You'd be like, I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. Well, good job, Bren. And you said this is based off a book. Yeah. So this is based off of a book called Roadside Picnic, which uh, came out in like the mid seventies. And I already mentioned the two uh, authors to it, Arkady and Boris Strakotsky. The book is amazing. It is my favorite book, like of all time, that I've ever read. I've read it through more than five times, I think. Wow. I, every October, I actually, I read it. For the oh. past four years, I've read it every October. It's an amazing book. And then while this book was uh, being made, they actually started to make the movie as well. Although the book and the movie differ 
a lot, actually. Except for, like, uh, the core theme, or I guess the core idea of it. Definitely, this is definitely a lot more slow and a lot more, um, I guess, personally driven. All about the characters' motivations, which is a big part of the book, too, but the movie does it a lot more. So, yeah. Then this movie was made. I don't think it, it didn't do any, like, spectacular numbers because it's just an art film. And overall, in the uh, grand scheme of the Stalker franchise, this movie is actually forgotten about a lot, which the grander franchise, I guess I should mention this too, in the uh, early 2000s, there was a game series developed in Ukraine based off of the book and uh, the movie too called Stalker Shadow of Chernobyl. And if you heard that right, yeah, it all takes place in Chernobyl in that Um which Chernobyl has obviously nothing to do with the book or the movie. That's just where the game developers decided to put the setting. And there were three games made. And those games are amazing games. And I love them to death. So yeah, the franchise is actually still continuing too in a way. Because there is going to be a new Stalker game coming out in April. So it is, it is still alive and kicking after all these years. And there was an unaired pilot. There was an unaired pilot, yes. For a TV show back in 2016. Yeah, and it was, that was just called Roadside Picnic as well. And originally, there's a trailer for it, actually. It's labeled as being on like AMC, I think it was. They were trying to get picked up by AMC, uh, but they weren't. And then the pilot ended up just floating around different different uh, channels trying to get picked up, and it never did. So it got canned, which is really disappointing because... The trailer looks really good. From what everything that I can tell, it actually might have been at least decent. Yeah, I think it would have made for at least one good season of television, mm-hmm. for sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, but this entire series, though, is very influential, actually. Yeah. To a lot of other things that have become more popular. Mm-hmm. The movie Annihilation. Oh, 100%. Is like almost a blatant ripoff. <laughs> In a way. In a way, it, it is, yeah. And and uh, I love Annihilation. That was my favorite movie of the year that it came out in. I mean, it's on like Hulu and like Amazon Prime, but I still bought like a Blu-ray copy of it too, just because I like want to always have that movie because that movie is really good. Yeah, and the first time we watched this was a few years ago, mm-hmm. and the only place we could find it was on YouTube. Yeah, and it was some weird rip of something and it, the quality was quality not terrible. good yeah you could tell it was a good movie but it was just it was so pixelated and grainy and had artifacts all over yeah which is kind of ironic in a weird way yeah given the what happens in this movie and in general yeah but um we actually watched the criterion version this time yeah and oh oh it's so great because that came out the criterion collection edition came out after we had watched it on youtube and everything like that which i'm so happy that they did that they did such a fantastic job restoring that movie it looks great oh it looks stunning i remember when they like uh released the trailer for or the announcement that they were going to be redoing it and like the whole community blew up everyone was so excited because there hasn't been like a good copy of that movie or any like dvd release i don't think or any like major release, so it was it was pretty it was pretty substantial that they did that. Yeah, and the, it's interesting too because I did I didn't do a whole dig into this a whole lot, and there's not a whole lot out there. I mean, yeah. I guess if I really looked hard, but I just kind of 
I didn't want to get too deep into theories and everything else because there's a lot to discuss. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to keep those ideas my own. Yeah. And not be influenced by anything else. Yeah, I didn't watch any videos or anything either. Yeah. But um, I did see that the film stock they used hadn't been used in Russia at that time because it was newer. Mm. And so they had a lot of problems. And he had to basically shoot a lot of this movie over again oh. with a different cinematographer. Oh. And that's why it's broken the like uh two two parts. Yeah. And that's why if you notice it does kind of change. And I don't think it has anything to do with like the color toning and stuff. I think that That was a it, choice. That's its own thing. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, just in general, they ended up like they screwed it up in the lab or something Oof. and they lost a bunch that of is, stuff. That is that is really rough. Yeah. That's never easy. And he didn't do it the same. It's almost like completely different than what was originally intended to some degree. Hmm. Because he had some quote about something like, you know, you don't have the same kid twice or something. Oh, I suppose. Yeah. Plus, I mean, being a little more artistic, too. Yeah. I could see where there's just things that you just couldn't reproduce. Yeah. Hmm, That's interesting. Yeah. Well, either way, the second half still looks amazing. Uh, yeah, I don't know what I don't I didn't say it didn't say what part of it. Yeah. It just said like half the film is basically reshot. Yeah. And I nothing fell out of place. It all felt amazingly shot. No, I would have never I would have never guessed that. That is very interesting. No, I did not I didn't know that. And I only found out one other little tidbit of information that um just like the the military guys, whatever the initials on their helmet is yeah. his initials, the directors. Oh, huh. Yeah. He he also directed um Solaris. I don't know if you've ever seen that. I have not, no. No, that's like a, another sci-fi film that some people it's I think it's more of like a cult status. Hmm. Like it's known for being like weird and yeah. artsy because it's that director, so very clearly it would be. Oh yeah. But as far as a rundown for this goes, it's pretty bare bones because this movie also I think the shortest shot in this movie is still over a minute long (laughs) some of them are are like well over four minutes yeah a single shot yeah so it's just it's mostly talking and then moving to a new setting getting some really very atmospheric establishing shots and then more talking and then that continues not saying that's a bad thing no No, i I have no. no problem with that no it's very good we start off, uh, we're introduced to our main character, who uh, a lot of characters in this movie don't have any names. I don't think anybody really does. I don't think, I think maybe like the bartender, I think is said by a name, is called a name, but like once. But either way, so we have our main character who we'll be referring to as uh, Stalker, because that is what the movie refers to him as, and... So he, he's waking up, and he has a wife and a little daughter, and he's in a very, very run-down, grimy, grimy house. Everything in this movie, this is the dampest movie I've ever seen. Damp, it's gross. They have just standing water on their floor. At first I thought it was like when they, when they hose down a street, because they want to get that nice shine on everything. Yeah. And I thought that's maybe what they were going for in this no everything is intentionally wet yeah it's super gross 
But basically, he gets up and he starts to leave and his wife confronts him. And, and she's like, don't tell me you're going back. You just got out of prison. I need you here. I offered you a good job. We can live a normal life. And he basically doesn't say much of anything. He's just like, I'm, I got to do this. Like, I'm going to be going. And he leaves. And the wife is very distraught over this. They're fighting. And she's like, quiet. You don't want to wake the monkey, which is what they call their daughter, is the monkey. Um, I think this is a cutesy name. There, there is a reason why she's called the monkey. And it's from the book. But I'll get to that <laughs> when I talk about the book a little bit more. Uh, so, but the monkey does end up waking up and hearing it, but he leaves, and then we're introduced to our second, uh, character, the writer, who, this is one of my favorite characters in the movie. I mean, there are, there are only, like, really three characters, but he stands out a lot, uh, at least in this viewing, he really did to me, and he's talking to some babe or something like that outside of his car, and it's very interesting what he was saying. I don't know if you really remember what he was talking about, but it was, like, how she because she had mentioned something about like flying saucers and the aliens and all this and he's like oh no that stuff isn't real this world isn't exciting at all like there's nothing left that's exciting in this world and then he refers to like triangles and how the sides will add up so he's just like oh everything's just like a prime b prime c prime like a triangle everything could just be ruled over by science and everything's boring and then he says like even if we found god God would just be A prime, B prime, C prime. Like, it would just be another <laughs> scientific explanation for that, and there wouldn't be much left. And this is when the stalker shows up, and, and the writer's like, hey, this, this uh, woman is going to come with us. She's brave. She's going she's gonna to come with us. And the stalker just leads into her, uh, right up to her, goes, get lost. And she, <laughs> she's super mad, and she just drives away. I guess I should explain the kind of the setting too, what the zone is. No, we can get to that. We'll get to the zone. Okay, we'll yes. get to the zone. The whole point is that that doesn't really get explained till later, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, stalkers just hired. Yeah. To lead people into this place called the zone. Yeah. So next, we're introduced to the professor, who uh, was waiting for the three of them to all meet up at a bar, and the professor he's an older man he's kind of quiet kind of keeps to himself he has this little rucksack that he's always keeping with him and close to him uh, yeah he doesn't he doesn't talk very much in this movie yeah it's mostly the writer mm -hmm. who speaks yeah or stalker yeah but they all meet up and immediately there's there's some like kind of like argument sort of well the the writer's also been drinking and apparently there's some type of prohibition going on. Yeah. So he's not even supposed to have alcohol, and Stalker does not want him drinking. Because he needs him to be, like... Fully aware. Yes. Because what they're going to be doing to get to where they need to go is dangerous. Very dangerous. But either way, after some kind of tussling in the group, they all set out to break into the zone. And... Uh, the zone is heavily guarded, very, very heavily guarded. There's patrols out. There's a huge barbed wire fence. There's a lot of military checkpoints that they need to get through. And uh, so there's a good chunk of scenes of them having to sneak around 
they're having to like duck underneath like the jeep that they're taking to avoid getting caught the the stalker will just send the writer out to to go do some tasks he does it like twice and every time the writer just doesn't want to do anything <laughs> or is like too scared to he even gets shot at at one point and then the professor ends up going even though he's like an old guy still ends up getting out there and going um but yeah after getting shot at by the military they ride their car on the train tracks right behind a train and are able to get through all the checkpoints and then they get onto a little um little motorized rail car and they're able to ride that into the zone it's interesting when they're following the train on the train tracks yeah and I was wondering if maybe it's supposed to represent them entering the zone or beginning to at that point, or if it's just that they have the military has it lit. There's a very bright light. Yeah. That they yeah. go into. Yeah. When following the train. Yeah, because that past that point was where the area was like completely cordoned off um, from the zone. And, and, and the military does not like the zone. No, no. That's the reason why they're able to get in is because the military wouldn't chase them at yeah. all. And that's why they're, I think they were just doing more warning shots. Just turn back because it didn't seem like they were actually trying to hit them. It was just every once in a while, it would just be like a barrage of like fire coming through a window or something. Yeah. And then it would just be like in front of them. Mm -hmm. And it didn't seem like they were ever trying to actually shoot them. No. They never left like any of their posts. They never like chased them. They're way too scared to. But then we get some really, really nice shots of uh, the three of them riding the rail car. The little rail car. The little tiny little. The, the, the gas powered one. That yeah. thing's kind of neat. I like it. Uh, yeah, me too. Oh, I guess we should mention too. Uh, throughout this movie so far, it has been it's been in sepia tone colors, so it was all like oranges. I guess. Yeah. Just like that amber color, yeah, just yeah. the warm, kind of just yellowy. Yeah, so there was no actual color to the movie. But then, after like a lot of shots of them riding the rail car, once they reach their destination, the movie switches to color. which Without warning. Without warning at all. There's It's just one cut, and it's color. Uh, which reminds me a lot of like Alice in Wonderland. The Wizard of Oz. Oh yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, it's very Wizard of Oz that way. Yeah, it's very Wizard of Oz. But even then, it switches to color, and it's still dreary. And it's still, like, there's not a lot of color. There's not really much vibrance. But this is also where, too, like, right away, this stalker just says, wait here. Yeah. And he just wanders off and just lays in a field. He feels all the grass and this tall grass and, and he's just flowers. Rolling, kind of rolling around in yeah. it. And I got the distinct feeling that he's now alive yeah this is where he truly feels alive yeah this is where he feels he belongs whenever he's not there in the zone he does not feel like he belongs at all yeah we can we're probably going to touch on reasons about that later oh for sure uh, and this is also where it is first discussed the writers talking to the professor and the professor is telling him about the zone and Basically, the zone is said to have been made by a meteorite impact or something to that effect that hit the land and then it gets talked about later, but everything had to be completely cordoned off. So it's left up in the air, 
whether it's um, an actual like meteorite, anything to do with that, or if it's like aliens, but it's probably aliens. Yeah, because they assume that the professor there is there just to study it. Yeah. And the writer's there to just experience it. Get inspiration. Yes. Because he's just, he's mostly just irritated with everything because, and he get, really gets into it throughout the movie, but you realize like he has just no muse mm-hmm. anymore and he's just bored. Yeah. And he's, he's made, he's, he has money, mm-hmm. but he's just bored with life and does not want to write anymore. Yeah. And that goes back a little bit to like what he was saying earlier to that woman of like, there's nothing exciting. Like, sure, you can say that there was a flying saucer, like the Bermuda Triangle even brings up, but that isn't like exciting because that's not real. There's nothing left for him in this world that is exciting. And that's part of why he's there. But even then, he still seems unamused by it everything going on right and it, and it's interesting too because this the zone is essentially a character in this movie it is it really is that's always present and almost has a will mm-hmm. like they personify the stalker personifies it in a way yeah which is very interesting the first place that they are going to because they're on the journey to the center of the zone. Oh, it is in the center. In in uh, all the other media, it is the center. But in this, it's just a room that they're trying to get to. And and like the description said, the room apparently will grant a wish. So they're all trying to get there. So the stalker's taking them on the path there. And just to clarify, the stalker knows the path and everything like that. He's done this before. He has done this many times with other people. But... So the first destination they're going to is... I don't know if it necessarily has a name, but we should probably, we should explain what major thing needs to happen for them to traverse the zone. Because this is like very important. Yeah. And the Hey Kid opening will make a little more sense. (laughs) When uh, Stalker left to go roll around in some grass, he left the professor with a bunch of like big nuts the ones that you put on screws bolts yeah bolts <laughs> those kind of nuts yeah gives them a bunch of bolts and then like long pieces of white fabric and tells them to tie the fabric through the hole of the bolt um and they the use nut. it's the nut oh yeah it is a nut <laughs> okay tie tie the white cloth through the nut cuz they'll use this to travel the zone so what the stalker will do is he'll take it and he'll throw it and wherever it lands that is the exact path that they will walk on a a straight path to that to that nut and they can't deviate from that path at all they have to walk in a straight line there and pick it up and continue forward yep so there's a lot of that in this movie a lot of that (laughs) a lot of stalker looking you know throw a Nut, and we'll all walk there. But and uh, what happens if you don't? If you don't follow the path, who knows? <laughs> right. It's never really. It's never really explained what happens to you. You just know that it's dangerous because Stalker says so. Stalker says so, and there's probably a reason why it is all 
blocked off and barricaded, and everyone is scared to go there. Yes, and that basically it leads, there's a lot of that, there's a lot of them walking, a lot of them having conversations about philosophical ideas and such, mm-hmm. and arguing with each other. Yeah. But the main thing is, is like, then once they get to like this one area, it was filmed at like some weird uh, abandoned aqueduct or something. Yeah. And this is where we really get our first glimpse at what is going on with the zone. Yeah. Kind of. In a way, yeah. Yes. Because the professor wants to go back and get his rucksack against Stalker's wishes. Because Stalker's like, you can't turn around in this place. It's like one of the things like... Yeah, it changes. Yeah. It's never the same path twice. Mm-hmm. It's constantly changing and in flux. What, what is changing? Well, apparently the zone sets up, as he describes it, like a trap. Yeah, there's traps. So you could be like, like in this instance, they're going through all this water and everything. And Stalker realizes that the professor did indeed go back for his rucksack. And he's like, well, too bad. Yeah. He's, he's gone now. Immediately he's just like, well, okay, we'll leave him behind. Can't go back and get him. The writer's like, are you sure? Stalker's like, yeah, no, he's gone. Let's yep. continue going. <laughs> and they end up back where they started from in that area. Mm-hmm. And without explanation, they just show up. Yeah. Coming out of this one area where there was just a bolt hanging from like a tree branch or someplace. Yeah. And apparently that spot was specifically marked by an earlier stalker whose name was Porcupine, who will be brought up later too, as like, a warning. Porcupine is like, don't go here. This is a very bad spot. And they end up walking out of that same area. And, and then, yeah. <laughs> it's, who's sitting there? Just the professor. Professor's just sitting right by the entrance. He has like a little fire going. He's like, what, making tea or something like that? Yeah. And there's a weird shot, too, right before that. It's hard to explain, but it's almost. Like, it shows, like, the embers of a fire that's been, like, that is out. Yeah. And it's almost like, it, like, you're wondering, it, I'm having such a hard time just describing yeah. this. But it's almost as if it's done in a way where it looks like a large patch of earth. Mm-hmm. It almost looks like a very overhead shot. Yeah. I mean, granted, they're just filming that close up, but it almost looks like, it's far away. It's really weird how it's... And it was like pulsing too. Yeah. It was It so was really strange. Was kind of blowing on a little bit. Yeah, yeah. There was another weird shot in there too where it was like, it was almost like a well or something. It was body of water in complete darkness and then there was like a big splash in it and all the ripples you could see because they were like white. It was really strange and I'm sure, I, I think Stalker was saying something very philosophical when that was happening too. But yeah, that was in between them wading through everything. And they just pop out. And the professor's like, hey, what's up? <laughs> I got my rucksack. <laughs> but, yeah, and then they decided to just take a nap. Yeah. Everybody. And this is, uh, I'm sorry. And I don't want to steal like your thunder with. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> but uh, this is where it goes. It'll go back into the sepia tone when Stalker starts dreaming. And he's dreaming of just mundane things it'll just be the stream or whatever and there'll be items that have appeared earlier like his wife's medicine Mm -hmm. syringes yeah and um 
a machine gun. Yeah. Things like that. Weird are, Jesus uh, picture. Coins in the water. And the writer is just babbling on yeah. <laughs> to the professor. And this is where he starts getting really deep in the stuff, mm-hmm. which we don't have the time Ugh. to really get into it. Here. Yeah. Yeah. It gets pretty deep and they all just kind of like snooze off mm-hmm. and wake up later. Yeah. I mean, there's, he... a, there's a doggo too in the oh, creek. Yeah. Little doggo runs up to Stalker. Just kind of always popping up. Yeah. Pops up later too. It's like this weird. I don't, I don't know what breed, I guess you would say it is. Could just be like a mutt. Yeah, almost like a German Shepherd in a way. It's all black. It's all black, yeah. I just called it Zone Doggo. Zone Doggo, yeah. So from there, after they all get done, mostly getting annoyed at the writer for just babbling on for so long, they all go and their next like location that they're walking through is this... Uh, it's like big sewage pipes, I guess it would be. Or some pipe, tubes. Tubes underground. Yeah. And this, this is starting to get a little tense because yeah. you understand that the zone is dangerous. And mm-hmm. Stalker has a reason to be as paranoid as he is about yeah. how they traverse. Yeah. And now they have to go through a tube where you can really only go one way. So. Yeah. <laughs> is this the match part? The matchstick part? Uh, yeah. Where he has the, he wants one of them to go ahead, uh-huh. and he says whoever draws the longest one. Yeah, and he goes and he breaks one, and then he, the writer ends up pulling the long one, and is not happy about it. No, he is not. To the end of the movie, he's convinced that they were he didn't break one, and he would have drawn the longest one regardless. Yeah, which is just whatever. Yeah, this is his attitude. He he was very stubborn like that, but. Yeah, and there's a lot of like fighting too that happens. A lot of arguments happen in the the pipes and tubes. And Stalker does not want to argue. No, he advises against having conflict. Yeah, because the zone probably won't like that. Mm-hmm. And he says that anybody who's confrontational like that or aggressive or angry may not make it out. Yeah, might be punished. Cool personification there. And then the next room that they end up getting to is called the Meat Grinder. And this is one of the most visually interesting rooms. And one that you'll see a lot if you were to look up this movie. It's probably the most famous uh, part of this movie. Or at least visually it is. Um, it's this enclosed room with a bunch of like mounds of sand. And there's a well in, kind of towards the end too. And... Stalker is very nervous about this room. Oh, what's cool too, this hard end. Oh, yeah, yeah. But when they initially show the room, yeah, oh, I know. and this bird comes from behind the camera and swoops down and then kicks up some of the sand mm-hmm. and just vanishes. Yeah. And then it comes in from behind the camera to the right of it and does and finishes like swooping in. Yeah. Like, it's almost like one fluid motion. Like it almost went like an invisible portal. Yeah. Where it was just teleported back and to the right. Yeah. Really cool. Really, really cool. It's one of the very few times that you ever see the zone do anything. Uh, which makes it even more scary because we have never seen it really do much before. Yeah, it's definitely a what the heck moment of, yeah. okay, what's going on here? Yeah. It's ramping up just little by little mm-hmm. 
of what is exactly happening here. You start to believe that, yes, this place is yeah. weird. And Red's really freaking out because the meat grinder is a very, very dangerous room. And uh, the writer just kind of walks straight through it and is just sitting by the well and then has babbles on <laughs> in his head this time. <laughs> yeah, and they're kind of like in this this room and it's they're really close to the room that they are supposed to get to mm-hmm. so they're almost like what like two rooms away yeah it's a, it's just the well is kind of like in the middle of it yeah it's like a big square room and so they're like okay he's got to like chill out for a moment here because holy cow even like it's amazing that they've all made it this far apparently yeah bring the stalker yeah this is not it doesn't seem like it's very usual that anybody even makes it this far. So stakes are high. Yeah. And I'm guessing there's there's probably a lot of people who just turn back. I could see that for sure. Like if something happens or they just lose interest, who knows? Yeah. Or they're just murdered. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting too because the meat grinder is kind of described to almost have to like, you have to be like led through in a way. Like it almost like reads your mind and you have to be like allowed through so on top of having to follow closely the stalker's path there's also just the chance that the room itself will just be like nah yeah just reject you yeah it'll reject you and it has a lot to do with like your mental like state which will be talked about later in in a little bit in a little bit yeah it's <laughs> not almost, it's there. almost there uh because this, there's weird stuff that happens when they're in this room yeah too. yeah but yeah, so yeah, the writer ends up just sitting by the well and Stalker's just freaking out. Like, he's like, get over here, writer. We need to go. And is throwing bolts and ducking behind the sand mounds and is totally freaking out. And the writer's just sitting there and he's thinking to himself about how he doesn't like to write anymore. And he even like throws like a brick down the well. And there's like there's no sound for a long time. It's a very long. It's a very very long time. He sits there and he's just staring down, waiting for the noise. And the noise like echoes really cool too, out of the well. Which I don't know if that was like a real sound that they captured. Hard to say because um, I know it. It will make a weird noise. I know wells and stuff make weird noises like that. This movie is all just uh, kind of intentionally made too, from what I was reading, where the. The sound effects and the music are intentionally blurred. Yeah. Because you don't really notice any music. Mm-hmm. You start noticing weird noises the closer you get to the room. Yeah. Which the soundtrack to this movie is really good too. When there when when there is definitive music, it is really good. Like the instruments that they choose are very weird. Very weird instruments and they make really cool noises that fits the zones dreary and like eeriness very well but anyway back to the meat grinder so they end up getting through the meat grinder and then they're approaching the room they're going through like like a small corridor almost oh this is this is getting to what i was thinking of earlier when i said Mm. the room next to the room yeah and so they're walking through and they're arguing and there's a broken phone on the floor and it just starts ringing it's like a red old phone 
cords completely ripped, you know, and it just starts ringing. It's so cool. <laughs> it's so cool. And and they're in the midi in the middle of arguing. Oh, sorry, I want to. They're in the middle of arguing, and they don't even notice the phone is ringing. I don't think for like a little while, and then uh, was it is it the writer that walks up to the phone? Just angrily walks up to the phone, picks it up, and goes. No, this isn't the nursery or something like that. Like, this isn't the hospital. And then he just hangs up and they go right back to, like, arguing. And this is when the professor walks over to the phone and he sits down and he dials in a number into it and he calls and we hear this phone call and he's talking to a lab partner of some kind. And he's like, I'm outside of the room right now. Like, I'm really close to it. I found it. It was in bunker number four. I'm going to do it. And you well, you do hear the the guy is saying cuz he's like your career is ended here. You're basically done for if you go through and do this. You know that, right? And the professor's like, "Don't care. I'm going to do it." And also, I'm getting back at you for having sex with my wife yeah. 20 years ago. Yeah. I was like, "Whoa." Yeah. <laughs> because that dude has been quiet this whole movie. Yeah. Basically. This is definitely where all of his development happens, especially right at the end of the movie. Um, oh, yeah. So he gives that call, hangs up, and then they go to the next area, which is just outside the room, like adjacent to it. Open archway that they just have to walk through and they're in the room. And they're all sitting there and Stalker starts to explain kind of how the room works. Yes. Rule number one for him is he can't go in. Yeah. He cannot go into the room so there was a stalker a pretty well-known stalker i don't know how long ago it was they don't give any specific dates or anything like that but he was a very well-known stalker and he went into the room and he leaves the zone and oh he gets super rich he gets so much money a week later he had hanged himself so stalkers can't go into the zone otherwise it'll end in a tragedy or it just won't be good and it's also believed that that happens to anyone who like they're never heard from again well isn't that what it is it's like well no stalker just never talked to any of them again he doesn't know he he didn't he's never found out what actually happened right but he's assuming that he assumes that it went well because that's what he wants to do is to help people but at the end of the day he doesn't actually know and he has a he talks to the professor about it um, because back at the meat grinder, Porcupine went through the meat grinder with his brother, and his brother died in the meat grinder. And so the professor was talking to Stalker, and he's like, you should go in. Stalker's like, I can't. And professor's like, do you think that the reason why he hung himself was because, from what Stalker said, the room grants your innermost wish. Yeah, your deepest desire. Your deepest desire is granted. So, Professor says to him, do you think he hung himself because he couldn't handle it or the zone in a way made him do it? Or do you think he went into that room and got on his knees and begged the zone to bring his brother back? But when he got out of the zone, he was rich instead because that was his true deepest desire. And... Realizing that he killed himself, which, yeah, whoa, <laughs> whoa, whoa, uh, and this is the main conflict that all the characters have to face with the room is 
Do you want your deepest desires to come true? What is your deepest desire? What is your deepest you desire? I think you know what it is. Yeah. But that might not be what's exactly in your actual heart. Yeah. And this is when uh, the professor's like, well, none of this really matters anyway. And he reaches into his rugsack and he pulls out what he says to be a 20 kiloton bomb, which, if you didn't know, is fairly big. That's a fairly big bomb. Safe to say, nobody's getting out of there alive. Yeah, uh, unless there's like a long timer on it. It, it had to have been nuclear in nature. Uh, and he's like, a bunch of my colleagues and I made this years back when we had heard about the room. And he's like, I'm going to blow it up. The idea is like, you can't just, what if you have the wrong person go in there? Yeah. And well, if, if all this stuff is true... You can't take that risk. Yeah, because what if world governments get a hold on the room? Yeah. And they send people to make wishes on their behalf. It's dangerous. Like, it's dangerous to have a room like that. And it is a fair point. So he's like, for world safety, like, it needs to be destroyed. And Stalker is not a fan of this idea at all. And they get into, like, an actual, like, physical altercation over it. Yeah, because he loves the zone. That's where he Yeah, is. why would he want... That's where he lives. That's his life. Yeah. And so they're wrestling over the bomb, and the writer had to break them up, and is even throwing around Stalker, too. And Stalker just ends up, like, on the ground, basically crying, has, like, a bloody nose and everything like that. And he's saying, like... You can't blow this place up. This is like people's only hope in life. People come here when they're out of hope and they have nothing left. And I take them to the room and they can make their wish. And, you know, like you can't strip this away from people. And the professor's like, do you, is that actually why you're here? Are you actually here to help people? Or are you only here because you like having the power over people that you don't want to make a wish because you have all that you want? And that is, to have this authority over people and to basically be in charge and boss them around. That was really interesting too. Yeah, it was kind of an interesting take on his character. Yeah, and Soccer denies this. And he still claims that he just wants to bring people there for them to like make their wishes because he feels bad for them because everyone who goes is broken just like him. Yeah, and he said that the zone prefers individuals who are at that point yeah hopeless and have feel empty inside mm -hmm. but in the end uh professor doesn't blow up the zone he ends up disassembling the bomb and doesn't go through with it separates the three pieces of it yeah and then it's uh the writer so the, now it's, does the writer choose to go into the room and the writer decides not to because the writer is scared of what his deepest desire actually is he doesn't know and he doesn't want the zone to like peer into him that way like he doesn't really want to know because he spent the entire film so far trying to figure out what he wants and what he's missing and so he's just he just doesn't want to do it he's he's too scared of what he actually wants so he doesn't even go into the room because he also knows i think at this point too that he's not necessarily a good person yeah <laughs> i think he's yeah. he comes to that conclusion of you know what i've been so used and like they just want me to write 
Uh-huh. And they throw these lavish parties and everything, and they're just using me. And he just feels that he just churns out a product. And as as an artist, I can understand this. I mm-hmm. totally get what he's talking about when you start doing work for other people and there's expectations and doesn't become about you or the art at some point and you have to make that decision what you're gonna do yeah so none of them end up going into the room and they all just kind of sit there next to each other professors just throwing pieces of the bomb into like all the big huge puddles and everything around the really damp room and then there's, there's a shot from what I believe is actually inside of the room itself, because you never get like yes. a clear shot of it, but it's a shot inside the room looking towards our characters. And it's like this weird like rain. It just starts raining in the in room. In one spot. In one spot, it just starts raining. No one says anything about it either. And it's weird, too, because at that point, as the viewer, you're in the room. Yeah. You are the room in a weird way. Yeah. And you're looking at them, and the rain is almost like, a bunch of sad sacks yeah <laughs> i don't mean that like in a, in a literal yeah right i mean but it, it is like you're looking at them and they're just broken at mm-hmm. that point and yeah. just they've been completely worn out and they could get possibly whatever they truly wanted in their hearts and they've chosen not to yeah which is an interesting part of the movie i find that very fascinating yeah everybody's just like no not doing it and there's also like a little fish too. There's some fish that are living in that pond, which I always find it very interesting whenever they show wildlife in the zone. So after the room, they're just back. They're back. <laughs> they don't cover the journey back. Hey, because you know what? It probably was made in a lot of silence. <laughs> probably wasn't much talking. No, they probably just, and this is a day's journey. Yeah. Because they're back and it's like. Evening. They say, like, we got to get going soon here because it's going to be nighttime. And yeah. And we apparently... don't want to be out there in the zone at night because that's not good, apparently. So they make it back to, they're all at the bar, kind of sitting there in silence. And then uh, the stalker's wife shows up. This <laughs> <laughs> is like, hey, go home. Yeah, like, <laughs> come on, we're going home. Yeah, so stalker is just incredibly worn out and tired. Mm-hmm. And... She's helping him, you know, it's like she's forgiven him Yeah, for going out again. And I think part of it is that she just, like, I can't imagine, that's got to be hard on her oh, definitely. to see him that way. Yeah. And he just breaks down as she's putting him in the bed in their soggy room. Mm-hmm. And this is where, like, his his speech at this point is where I get, he's he's angry at them for not going in. And, you know, he's like, why, why won't they do that? You know, why don't, why did these people not want to go in there? Because I think what he really wants is not being able to go in there. He wants the right person to go in because if the right person goes in, going to fix everything. That would be interesting. I think that's what he wants. He wants that ideal candidate to go in there and somehow bring a you know, and the misery of the world. Even his wife mentions, she's like, oh, like, you can take me in, take me to the room and have me go. And he's like, no, like, I, I don't want to take you there, which is interesting. Yeah. 
because who mentioned earlier that he could live there? One of the other characters, I think, is like, why don't you just live here? Yeah, it's in when they're in the room and they're all breaking down. Yeah, he he says like, I could just take my wife and monkey here, and I could just like live here because that is where he really just wants to be, and that's where he's like happiest. But I think he just wants that ideal person, and I think he knows it's not him. Yeah, and he's scared. He's also scared of what his deepest desire would be. Yeah, because I think. It may involve not having his wife or his child that he does care about. He really does, yeah. But I I do think, and I think that's part of the reason why he doesn't want his wife to go into the room either, because he really does not make her happy. So I I don't think that he's part of that wish. What if she wanted something else? Yeah. So I think that's, I think he's scared of that. But also at the same time, we get the monologue from her where she is breaking the fourth wall. Yeah, she's talking directly to the camera. Yes. And she talks about just how without she's happy with her life because for as miserable as she is, it's the fleeting moments of happiness that truly make her feel alive. And I think this really is poignant for our time now because there's a lot of people who just, and you see it on social media a lot, where there's this expectation of the balance between happiness and being unhappy where it's assumed that if you even have a little bit of unhappiness, that that's wrong. Yeah. And you have to be, everything needs to work out all the time where that's not the way it was, especially say like the middle ages Yeah, where man, you just took those little nuggets of happiness and you held on to those, and maybe you'd have like five in your entire life. Where you had just you had sliced ham at the festival. <laughs> the only time in your life you've had sliced ham, but you know uh, what? But you know what? You're gonna remember that forever. Oh, man, that, that was such an amazing ham, moment. So good, so tasty. Yeah, and that I, I think that's exactly what she's getting at. It's just that she's okay with being miserable because she kind of she has her monkey mm-hmm. and she has her husband, and it's not perfect. But she finds happiness in it. Yeah. And then cuts to this walk a, a, around what is like a little lake or maybe it's a pond or something. It's probably like a lake. Nuclear power plant yeah, in the there's background. There's a very eerie nuclear power plant in the background, which is, is, is interesting. Just because this is before any major nuclear disaster. So it, in a weird way, it's like a weird like foreshadowing in a way, because a lot of like ideas of like a zone and stuff like that has come from like nuclear disasters. Usually, yeah, it wasn't wasn't the book based off of like an incident, a small incident, like the fifties or something. Yeah, that that's it was it? part of the inspiration for it was having an area cordoned off like that. But there had been nothing major. Like there wasn't that public fear, so it, it's very eerie to have like the big smokestacks kind of looming over the characters, and it's very very far away shot of. Um, the stalker's wife and monkey and monkey doesn't have functioning legs so the monkey has to be on uh, stalker's back but they're just walking along the shoreline and then it cuts to monkey in their house and it's not sepia tone anymore it's not sepia tone because when they went out i guess we should have mentioned when they go back outside of the zone it is back to sepia tone uh but here in this final shot 
it isn't, it's in color. And it's Monkey, and she has her head down at the end of a table, and there's like a bunch of glasses on the table. And she's like laying there, and a train goes past because they live right next to the train. Everything's shaking, everything like that. And then one of the glasses just starts to kind of wiggle, and it starts to slide across the table. And then that one stops. And then Mon- Monkey looks at another glass, and it kind of starts to move, and it starts sliding across the table. And then looks at another glass and she kind of like picks her head up off the table and she's like really looking at it and that one slides like all the way across the table and it's this really long shot of her just telekinetically moving glasses around and then the movie ends fantastic fantastic ending (laughs) yeah yeah because the monkey is a what are called like a child a child of the zone Mm -hmm. which are any children that are bared from like stalkers who have been in the zone for a while which is also interesting because that's a lot like someone who is in like a fallout zone not being able to produce children because of radiation so weird parallel in a way but yeah i know like the professor and the writer when they were talking earlier they mentioned stalker's daughter Mm -hmm. and how one of them had heard that you know she was born without legs or something and they call her a mutant yeah and i thought that was like an interesting thing and then you get that bit at the end where she has telekinetic abilities she does yeah and my thought was (laughs) my initial thought was that um maybe he had gone in the room and that's how he got his daughter that would be interesting yeah maybe he's already made and he can't go in there again yeah but also in a weird way if you just look at it as his just like you said, the children of the zone. I didn't know about any of that. And just that thought of like, perhaps a bit of the zone lives in his life still. Yeah. Through his daughter. Yeah. And that, you know, she does actually make him happy. Mm -hmm. I like movies like this where you can just kind of get into it and you can sink your teeth in. Yeah. And you can just kind of think about it. We haven't even, we, I don't think we really can properly sink our teeth into like a lot of them long monologues no and a lot of the complex themes that are in this movie it's a lot of it's a lot of philosophical a lot yeah but i mean like the major themes are about happiness Mm -hmm. purpose despair riches and desire these are all like the main things i'd say so for sure and and it also has a very anti-military yeah message to it because I mean, just on their journeys through the zone, there's tanks and military vehicles that are just overgrown with wildlife because the zone apparently just does not approve of those well, things. Well, the zone, what had happened when the zone first appeared is that they thought that they were being invaded. The country that they're in thought they were being invaded, so they sent in a bunch of tanks and military vehicles, and they didn't really make it very far. Oh, yeah, because the writer had a gun. We forgot to mention yeah. that. The writer had a gun, mm-hmm. and Stalker's like, oh, no, you have to get rid of that. Yeah, no weapons. Like, at one point in time, like, when he obtained the, the gun, or it was thrown away, he even hit it again. Yeah, the, to- the writer was, like, wading through water and it ended up falling out, and Stalker saw it, and he picked it up, and he just threw it. He's like, none of that. Yeah. Weird personification. Did you notice the corpses, the two corpses that were shown? And the one in the vehicle? Yeah. There's the one in the vehicle, which the writer stares at. I think that kind of spooked him. Yeah. Because he was caught on that for a while. 
um, just like this weird corpse, and you don't really see it very detailed or anything like that. Just chilling in the car, and the the next one was was it in the room or was very close to the room? Not like in the room, but the room adjacent to the room. It was either there or close to there. It was like yeah, I don't think I saw the second one. The writer said, "Hey, professor, look over here," and you can't really tell, but like when you look closely, there's like a like skeletal corpse that's just like sitting there, and it's. There's something around it too. I think it's like bottles or something like that. I don't know. It's in like darkness. It's in like the corner. It's hard to say. Yeah. Like when I, I don't know. It's this movie definitely requires multiple viewings. I'd say so. Yeah. Because it's, I have no problem reading a movie. Yeah. <laughs> subtitles, and this one is excellent. I think anytime you have one and you don't really notice that you're reading, and when you think about it, you think about that character's voice even speaking english yeah and it's so that's a sign of a good one yeah but also you kind of do miss out on some of the visuals yeah i mean i know that i watch tons of anime so (laughs) i definitely get that it is a very beautiful movie oh the the cinematography the compositions of these shots are so good i even when we were watching it this time i said this is just like citizen kane level cinematography it's absurd filming yeah the it's because it's the layers yeah and i wish (laughs) i wish i had been told to watch this movie when i was in art class in college because i had uh one of my just extra things that i was told to watch because of my style of drawing at the time was one movie was citizen kane Mm. and the other one was prospero's books and that movie was just weirdo nonsense with like naked kid on a swing peeing i'm not (laughs) it was that one i could have done without i would have rather watched this and i would have gotten it then between those two movies because when you're just looking at somebody in another room but you're like looking through a window or whatever yeah and it's just those layers and you can when you're looking at like a room, but you're in a room and it's a different room and it's, I don't know, there's just something about how it's all done and just the composition of the shots and everything. It's just very, just artistic. Tasty. They're tasty shots. It is. You look at it and it's like visual food. Mm, tasty, tasty I food. Oh, I just, it is so good. Yeah. Oh, oh, we forgot to mention Zone Doggo. Zondago goes back with yeah, them. Yeah, Zondago goes back How with them. How did we fail to mention yeah. that? Yeah, so Zondago is just chilling with uh, Stalker and his family. Oh, Zondago. Going on little adventures with Stalker in the zone. Yeah, who knows? Man, you could just come up with all sorts of thoughts about Zondago, too. Oh, yeah. Maybe Zondago is part of the zone. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, you pass. <laughs> I'll hang out with you. Oh, yeah. It's a great movie. I really mm-hmm. like it. I'm spoiling my my review at the end Uh, one thing i want to talk about for a little bit here is the book uh and some comparisons and also just the book in general because it's my favorite book go for it the book 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 yes because yes we do have to discuss the book because there are differences yeah i have not read the book myself seeing as how it's october i'm busy working on some other stuff yeah it's your month to read that book maybe (laughs) i'll try to get to it it's pretty short, too. It isn't super long. It's a thinner book. Anyway, so the book, uh, The Zone, is definitely created by aliens. That is just straight up set. 
and there are multiple zones in in the book, although only one is ever visited or talked about. It's mentioned that there are other ones. And the way that the zone is described is that aliens showed up, they might have had a little look around, they threw some garbage out of their spaceships, they just left some junk behind, and then they left. Never seen again. No one even saw any of the aliens, well, or lived after seeing them. But they created the zone, which are like a few miles in diameter, and it is very dangerous to go there, much like it is in the movie. In the book, it's different because there's like a whole scientific like organization devoted to researching the zone, and uh, stalkers, instead of being people that lead other people into the zone to uh, the wish granter, because there is a room that grants, or a thing that grants wishes in the books, that, that's one of the main things in it. Instead of like leading people, stalkers are people who will illegally sneak into the zone to get what are known as artifacts, which are some of that junk that the aliens left behind, and to sneak it out and then sell it in like the black market. Because there's a whole black market because these objects have weird physics-breaking abilities and can be used for all sorts of good and evil things. So, main character actually has a name. His name is like, I never actually heard it pronounced, which is a weird part about reading a foreign book. But his name is shortened to Red, so his name's Red. Um, and Monkey in the book is called Monkey because Monkey kind of looks like a monkey. Monkey has like longer limbs and is completely covered in hair and has like black eyes and is kind of creepy. And he also has conflicts with his wife because his wife also doesn't want him going in. And he's also been in and out of prison for sneaking in and... But in the book, it's more of a crime sort of thing, like sneaking in, trying to get artifacts. He even works for the scientific organization a little bit. But the book is very good. The book covers a lot of very, very interesting topics. A lot of topics that are even talked about in the movie of like seeking happiness and a lot of like more character and like personal things like that. Also, like what do you really do for your family? How far can you go before? it isn't a good thing anymore, which I think is a very interesting idea. And also very interesting ideas of um, just aliens, xenology, and stuff like that, and how aliens would think, which is a weird thing to think about, mm -hmm. because aliens probably wouldn't think like humans, so there's interesting ideas like that that are brought up in the book. And the book... Like, the movie has a very, very open-ended ending to it, which I've seen still get talked about to this day in, like, little small community that... Do you not want to spoil book. it, though? No. Oh, okay. God, no. Okay. Um, Very open-ended. Very, very crazy. And it is all around a really, really good book. I have... Uh, there, there are new things that I've discovered with it every time with it. And the book is a lot more action-packed than the movie. The zone, you definitely see kill people and it has some of the like anomalies and stuff like that are visual in nature they are still throwing bolts in it that is also in this although there are no strings or like cloth that's attached to it but that is still a thing that uh red will do um one last thing one example of the book's uh descriptions of everything because it is 
it, it, it is almost uh, Lovecraftian with its like weird space horror. Uh, at one point, they're trying to get into like this uh, garage, and and Red's leading a guy in there, and he's like, "Wait, avoid that tire." And <laughs> the guy's like, "Why? It's just a tire." And he goes, "No, look at it." And the guy's like, "Huh? Yeah, there's something off with it." And Red's like, "That tire doesn't have a shadow." Don't go near it. And they don't. And it's never explained what would happen if you go next <laughs> to that tire without a shadow. But just don't do it. So, very interesting book. I highly recommend it. I highly recommend this movie. <laughs> okay. Would so, you recommend this movie? So, giving, given our rating system of saying yeah. movie, how you feel about it yeah. and rating it. Obviously, we said we've liked it. Yeah. But I will say... This is not a movie. This is a film. Ooh! This is a film. I mean, we've already described it as a film. Yeah. Being an art film. But it is. So with, like that, I mean, it's light on special effects. Uh, we kind of mentioned some of them. There's one other part where it's almost as if the ground is moving. It's like weird ripples yeah, in the ground. Yeah, it's almost like under the ground is on a wave. Yeah. And there's like a dust devil going on it. I mean, obviously, you could probably figure out how the effect is done by looking at it, mm -hmm. but it's still cool. It's just that low key kind of stuff, which I like. Yeah. And it's almost completely atmospheric 100%. And I love it for that. If you're in the action pack stuff or you find things like this, boring do not watch this then yeah just save yourself the time play the games or find something else yeah you watch um annihilation yeah watch annihilation if you want something a little more action-packed and even that's not even really that and that gets super philosophical too yeah that gets really deep at times so definitely check this out it's really cool yeah very interesting movie oh i guess here's my rating it's a film <laughs> do i recommend it yes I feel almost like we have to watch something super trashy next. Yeah. <laughs> we went from we went from sleep away camp. Yeah. To stalker. Very weird. Uh we did we did uh, last time we watched this originally uh, a couple of years ago, we were going to record it, mm -hmm. but there was so much that happened with it that we ended up missing our day because usually we like to record within two days. Yeah. Or we have to rewatch the movie. And sometimes it just didn't happen. And this is a two hour and 40 minute movie. Yeah. And because we had watched it and when you got sick and we, you couldn't record. Yeah. And I could see we were getting close to the end of the month. Yeah. And I just had that moment of we have to do we this. We have to cover this movie. We have to do it this time. Yeah. So I'm glad that we did it. Clearly, it stayed really fresh with us mm -hmm. this whole time. So it really, I'm glad we were able to do it. Yeah, because it is such a fantastic yeah. film. And it was great talking to you about it because I've been I had to hold it in extra long. Yeah, we started the leak the other day. Where yeah, we started talking. We about did, it. and I just couldn't do. I was like, I gotta stop. Yeah, yeah. Oh, don't bring up the games, though. The games I know the most about. <laughs> well, that almost needs to be its own thing. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> you start your own podcast. There, <laughs> there is a very interesting reference to the movie in 
uh, the games, which doesn't happen very often. And there is a scene where the main character rolls around in some grass. <laughs> it's almost like shot for shot. I'm going to say this too, uh, like with that TV show, this is ripe for a remake or, mm-hmm. or just another adaption of the book. Yeah. Because I don't know. I got a feeling though, that if it did happen, people would just be like, this is ripping off something else. Annihilation. It's ripping off Annihilation. When? Oh, John Carter of Mars. The movie's just ripping off Avatar. Yeah. And, and Star Wars. Dingus. Ah! So dumb. It's almost 100 years old. Yeah. <laughs> I think cosmic horror is becoming a bit more of an accepted genre as of late. I think it always... I mean, it's it's had its audience, sure, but yeah. it is... Yeah, I suppose it's... It's building ever so slightly. Dipped into the mainstream a little bit. Yeah. Especially in a lot of TV shows are getting some weird... They're pushing the boundaries a little bit and bringing in wacky ideas of time and space and things like that. Like the... Like the Haunting of Hill House and stuff. Like that TV show really kind of gets into it. Ghosty stuff, but still. But still, no, still. I, I think it shows that audiences are a lot more accepting and interested in very, very strange ideas that are more out there. Mm-hmm. Which For sure. this series. Bring on. Let's get weird with of, it. Yeah, let's get super weird with it. I mean, even The Color Out of Space, that, that movie, as weird as that got, still didn't even quite... It was... Dipping its toe in there and getting rubbing it around a little bit, and yeah. Splashing, but yeah, not a full dunk. No, it didn't get didn't get weird enough. Yeah, but it was getting there. Annihilation gets there. Oh man, that ending! Is, that ending is oof. Oof, it's very. I very just wish the there. special effects were a little tighter on yeah. that. Yeah, it was kind of barfy. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> that was the movie that I spilled a bunch of hot chocolate on myself. <laughs> <laughs> we were sitting there, we were just enjoying it. I spilled a bunch of hot chocolate and it hurt really bad. I immediately just like ripped my shirt off <laughs> and I just like ran out of the room. <laughs> I was like, wow, this movie is really getting to it. <laughs> it was during that pool scene. Where's that corpse in that pool? Oh. Oh. Yeah, that was, that was super cool. <laughs> super awesome. Okay. Okay. We're talking about another movie now. Yeah. So. And at this point, we should just wrap things up. Get yourself some cool merch at the T Public store. Man, I'm telling you, my vengeful villain shirt keeps selling. It looks like, but it is not Battle Damage Skeletor <laughs> as a shirt. <laughs> it is not legally that, but it's one to check out. That thing sells. It's definitely not Skeletor. <laughs> so it's not just, it's, it's definitely not. I mean, it's not just stuff for this show. Uh, check that out. There's a link in the notes. You can contact us, send us an email. At corrupted. Corruptedyouthpod at gmail.com. Join us in the dungle then on Facebook if it exists. Yeah. <laughs> and I joke around about that a lot, but uh, as of today, I never and, know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I'll just show up there while it exists, see some memes. And uh, speaking of dongle den, thank you to our listeners, the dongles. And court. <laughs> Why are you separating him <laughs> from the group? We'll put him in there. He's he's our, he's our main. He's, guy. he's Dongle Prime. He's a Prime Dongle. And speaking of court, thanks to our fellow podcasters for your support of our show. And hang in there, Dongles. Bye.
Rob, dead you. Come, Rob, dead you. Come, Rob, dead you. Come, Rob, dead you. Nuts, 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 nuts.